0: episode of Sunrise Ministries um, today I want to talk about the topic of temptation temptation and why it is not the same thing as sin temptation and why it is not the same thing as sin you know I, I run into people all the time who are uh, you know I'm under this great temptation right now and I just I'm so burdened and 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 I feel ashamed and I go, you should be concerned about the temptation, but you should not be ashamed of being tempted. Does the Lord Jesus need to be ashamed that he was tempted by Satan? No, not at all. In fact, we would say that's complete and utter foolishness to argue that uh, um, that, that Jesus being tempted is somehow an example of, of sin on his part, not in the slightest. So... When we talk about temptation, we're talking about the act of being presented with the opportunity to sin, but not engaging with the sin itself. Um, So let's think about the most famous uh, uh, temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. In the beginning of verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Stop right there. How did Jesus come to be tempted? He was led by the Spirit it was the will of god that he be tempted by the devil in fact god will have the devil tempt us sometimes and so that we will grow that we will engage in spiritual combat spiritual warfare and we will grow in holiness so jesus is tempted by the devil you could argue about purpose here because obviously jesus is god and he's not going to fall to that temptation i think it's so that we can learn the lesson the teacher the master, the Savior, is going through an exercise so that we, the uh, saves, if you will, the ones who, the students, the ones who are learning from him, can see his example and know also the tricks of the devil, how Satan comes with temptation, how he brings temptation, and how he tries to get even God's people to fall into sin. Notice in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I mean, my goodness! I'm I'm recording this in the afternoon, and I'm already thinking about dinner tonight. And I've had a full lunch from our uh, kitchen ministry today. That that was delivered food today, um, and so I'm already thinking about dinner. Jesus went forty days and forty nights. His physical body is weak. I mean, when people get hungry, they get cranky, they get upset. Um, there's a phrase that is tossed around my family members called hangry. You know, when someone gets hungry, they just, they get very agitated and it's hard to be around them. Um, Jesus goes 40 days and 40 nights without any food whatsoever. This is incredible. This is the most amazing feat a human could do. But then Jesus goes into the temptation after he has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So Satan is going to come when you are weak. Satan is going to go after your physical body at the moment of weakness and hunger or even in pain. That's how the devil works. I mean, this is the the MO of Satan is to to do this. And so the tempter in verse 3 came up to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So Satan brings a temptation that is exactly what Jesus might think he needs. The devil is not going to attack us, usually with something that we don't want or that we're not attracted to. He's going to bring the very temptation of sin that we would fall to, the sin that we would want to do, we would want to engage in in the flesh. So Jesus is hungry, and the devil says, command these stones to become bread, if you are the son of God. So Satan's not only testing whether he could physically turn stones into loaves of bread, but he's testing his self-control. If you really are the son of God, you can almost hear the devil jeering at him, you know, and, and command these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there's there's two important things here. One It is obvious, if you are even a new Christian, you should see that Jesus is answering temptation with Scripture. He is using the words of God as his sword and shield against the temptations of the devil. Christian, if you are not in the Bible enough to be able to use it to ward off temptation, then you are going to fall into every temptation Satan has for you. You really are. You really are. Every time, you're going to fall for it. So that should be clear that scripture is necessary for temptation. Um, in, uh, I wanted to give you a couple of uh, English words from the Greek lexicon for the word temptation. Um, so we have a trial, we have a probation, we have a testing, being tried, and uh, other parallels you can see in Matthew 6.13, Luke 4.13, Galatians 4.14. Um, and so uh, even even kind of using a uh, uh, the devil's denom- uh, demonic power as an example. And so this is the temptation that Satan is bringing against us. So what do we have here? Why does Jesus answer with God's words, even though he is God and his own words in this this text would have been sufficient as Scripture itself? Well, you can argue a little bit that what we have here is exactly what the Holy Spirit revealed to Matthew to write down, and so that's a given, that's a foundation. But Jesus answers with specific written text of Scripture from the Old Testament. Um, it is written, and uh, let's see here, he quotes from, excuse me, let me get my button right. He quotes from, uh, let's see, um, uh, Deuteronomy 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus equates scripture as more important than physical food, the same way that the kingdom of heaven is more important than a kingdom here on earth. But there's something else going on here. The devil is paralleling his temptation with Jesus with the same temptations that he used when he went after Adam and Eve in the garden. So the first one is this, the appeal to the physical appetite. That is what the devil is appealing to with Jesus in Matthew 4. He's appealing to his hunger, his 40 days and 40 nights without food, if you really are the Son of God turn these stones into bread. Would it have been wrong for Jesus to turn these stones into bread? No. But what was wrong is is not what God wanted. It was not the will of God that He turned stones into bread. The will of God was that He be hungry for the trial, that He would be uh, in in great pain for the trials ahead, that He would be uh, at a low point. So when the temptation came and He overcomes it, the example to us believers is that being hungry is not an excuse. Being at a low point is not an excuse. We must overcome temptation no matter the situation. So the Satan is appealing to the physical appetite of Jesus the same way he appeals to the physical appetite in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat any of the tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. He appealed to her physical appetite. But look what else he appealed to. Did God actually say? He asked her a question. He did not come right out and say that, Oh, God didn't say that. That's not what God does. That's not what God wants. No, he came at her with a question. Do you actually remember what God actually said? And the woman goes, Oh, uh... And then the serpent is able to lead her away into temptation. See, appeal to the physical appetite. And how many people fall into sin because of their physical appetites? And I don't just mean food. We, have, of course, have the lust of the flesh and sexual immorality and pornography. We have the lust of a glory. We have the lust of, um, of, of feeling full You know, we we have the issues right now with obesity in our country, especially in North America, because people eat not until they feel full, but because they have to feel so, so full that they can't even eat another bite because they want, their eyes are bigger than their stomach. They want more than they need. And Satan is appealing to Jesus with this spiritually. He's saying, turn these stones into bread. But Jesus said, no, because the word of God is far worth living by than bread alone. The Word of God is far more important, far more important than physical food. So we must be careful, the temptation of physical appetite. We must be very careful when we are hungry not to make a bad spiritual decision. Because if we do, we could easily be led into sin. Um, Now, there is, of course, a... uh, Sovereignty argument here, you know, there, there is there is a place to say that the woman in, in, in Genesis 3 was going to eat of the fruit and she was going to give it to her husband and they together sinned um, because this was the plan of God. That's absolutely true. But it is not the plan of God that his children now fall into sin and temptation. Um, Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And Christians, we ought to tattoo that on the inside of our eyelids. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. These two contrary natures to each other in the heart of the believer, one is willing, one is weak. The spirit is willing to worship God. The flesh is weak in the worship of God. The spirit spirit is willing to keep God's commandments. The flesh is weak in keeping God's commandments. The spirit is willing to avoid sin, but the flesh is weak and will gleefully run to do sin the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so, and when physical appetite is weak, the flesh is even more, more so. Um, and so we, again, we have this issue. So be, be on guard for the physical appetite, the sin of, of chasing um, that thing. Uh, after that, in verse five, the devil took him to the holy city. That's um, going to be Jerusalem there. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now the devil quotes scripture. He will command his angels concerning you cited from Psalms 91, 11, and 12. And quotes again, then their hands will, they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. What is the devil tempting Jesus with throwing himself off the temple? Why would this be a temptation? What is, he, what, is he, what is he trying to uh, tempt him with? The appeal to personal gain. You shall not hurt your foot. What does the devil appeal to Eve in Genesis 3? Genesis 3, verses 2 and 4. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He appealed to her personal gain. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? What what will I be able to accomplish? What where's the 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 the, the worship and praise for me? You know, I'm gonna gain something from this. How many people are seeking God's purely for personal gain? How many people turn to God in prayer when they have needs and wants and hurts and cancers and heartaches and death, but they don't want God otherwise? They don't seem to need Him. Otherwise, they only want Him when it is good for them, when it is a personal gain for them. And here, once again, we see the issue, replacing God with worship of self, taking the rightful worship of God the Father and giving it to the flesh, the flesh which is wicked and evil. Now, what does Jesus do to avoid this temptation of personal gain? Well, He goes again to Scripture, but how? Jesus replies, and Jesus said to him, again, it is written, quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil quotes scripture, but he quotes it out of context. Oh, the, he will command his angels concerning you, or their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Remember when Jesus, when the when the Pharisees and the, and the, and the ones of the Jews tried to throw him off the cliff there, but they could not touch him? Because he His foot will not strike against the stone. But Jesus reminds the devil, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. This is why we do not keep on sinning after salvation willfully, because that's putting God to the test. It's saying, let's test your salvation, God, and see if you really are worth worshiping. Let's test and see how good you are. Let's test and see how many people in church are testing to see whether that God is going to truly love them. Whether God's going to truly take care of them, whether God's going to truly honor His promises to them, they're testing God, and they're they're hoping to find a crack. In the Lord God, I mean, people genuinely act this way. They're like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna test God and see if He's truly going to save me, if He's truly going to keep me holy, if He's truly going to keep me away, you know, from from heartache and struggle. And of course, they test God with a test of their own making. It is not a test of uh, holiness or the making of God in any way. Um, their God they've created, not the one true God, but their God fails the test because he doesn't exist, and then they hold the one true God accountable for their own wicked, sinful actions. You do not put your Lord God to the test. You do not say to God the Father, Lord, uh, you know I'm going to throw myself off this building and you're going to catch me. You, you won't. You'll, you'll hit the ground. You'll hit it hard and you'll die. Because God's not going to be put to the test. Like the parent whose child keeps on pushing against the barrier, against the rules, even in the face of the spanking and punishment, the parent's eventually going to say, that's enough, and administer the punishment. You don't put your Lord God to the test. And think about it, why? Why so willing to do this? Why so willing to test the Lord your God? Um, There's a great... uh, 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 reference in Isaiah uh, chapter 7 and verse 10, the Lord is speaking to Ahaz and says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, it is too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel." See, we don't have to test that Jesus is our Savior. We don't have to test that God is going to be our God. Simply believe and fulfill the commandments that God has already given. He's already blessed immensely. He's already given His word that what what He says is going to happen happens. But again, we test Him. We test Him because not for His glory, but for our personal gain. Just as the devil tested Eve, you shall not surely die. He says to Jesus, you will not hurt your foot. Eve falls to the temptation, but Jesus does not. And there's a very important distinction here. Why? Why does Jesus not fall to the temptation when every other human would and did and does? Because he's God. This is where the the proper understanding of the Trinity must reign. This is where we must fully understand that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, the hypostatic union working in beautiful harmony for the glory of God and for our salvation. You shall not put your Lord God to the test, and we should not. And then for the third and final temptation in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. Is this not what every human being is chasing? We all wish we could win the lottery. We all wish we were rich. We say things like, oh, if I was rich, I'd pay off all the church's bills and I'd pay off all my family's bills and I would do, all, I would do so much, but they, we don't do it now. The person who says, I'd give so much to the church after they're rich, but they don't give anything now, they won't do it, even if they gained wealth. They won't do it because they're going to continue to do their sinful fleshly habits. I will continue to do my sinful fleshly habits. It is only by the grace of God that I do anything different. So Satan is showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. Humans can't even fathom the glory of heaven and the kingdom of God. All we can fathom is the glory of the world, this wretched earth. Which uh, uh, it's amazing to me, especially, um, you know, and in, 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 inside of all these political movements, how anybody could truly be content with the physical, with the physical realm, with the physical earth, because it's going to fall. It, it's happened in history. It's going to happen again. The earth will not stand the kingdoms of men will fall down they will be broken they will bow down but the kingdom of god and its glory far greater look what satan says to jesus in verse 9 all these i will give you notice there who has control over the kingdoms of god of men if you will fall down and worship me notice this fall down and worship me jesus seemingly doesn't have to do a lot This is where we get the very notion of selling your soul to the devil in the first place. Fall down and worship Satan, and he will give you all the glory of the word. How many people would take that deal? How many people would say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to worship Satan even just for a little bit, and I'll get all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And then I'll truly, truly be happy. And of course, what they don't know is they will truly, truly be lost and cast into the lake of fire. Uh, Jesus here appearing a little agitated, uh, let's, shall we say, maybe for zeal and holiness, and says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, cited from Deuteronomy 6.13. Notice the citations from Deuteronomy 6, the game plan that God gives the children of Israel in the giving of the law. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In fact, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6, and let's just see why this is so important. This is the chapter that Jesus rebuts Satan with. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1, Now this is the commandment, the statues, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, our Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, there will be great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, when you eat and are full, then lest you forget, take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, it is the Lord God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of peoples around you, for the Lord your God is in the midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put your Lord God to the test as you tested him in Massas. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, and it may go well with you that you may go in and take possession of the good land the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all of the enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? You shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might. preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6. I appreciate you listening through that entire thing there if you're still with me, but it's so important because this is what Jesus had in his spirit. This is what Jesus had in his mind. This is what Jesus used to avoid temptation of the evil one, because what's the appeal here? What is Satan appealing to? He's appealing to personal glory, not the glory of God that God so richly deserves. He wants Jesus to fall down and worship him. The personal glory, this is the greatest sin that we commit, is pushing God off his throne and climbing up onto it ourselves. And instead of ruling in righteousness and justice and holiness, we would rule in wickedness, we would rule in pure evil. We would so, so say, shake our fist at heaven and say, we're not going to worship you, God. We're going to worship ourselves. When Jesus answers with Deuteronomy 6, the devil in verse 11 left him. And behold, the angels came out and ministered to him. Don't fight the devil with your own words. Don't fight the devil with your own power. Don't try to remove Satan by your spiritual maturity. No. No, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. This is how we avoid temptation. And it's after this that the angels came and ministered to Him. Look, think about the paras- parallel in Genesis 3, 5-7. through for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. He appealed to the personal glory of Adam and Eve, and they fell. They fell to the temptation, and because of that, they fell into sin. But Jesus does not. Jesus responds to the devil with the words of God, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And This is what every Christian needs to be doing now. Every Christian needs to be following after and serving only the Lord God, not bowing down to Satan in any way, not bowing down to him in such a way that would remove God from his throne and put Satan upon it instead. This is the evil heresy that we must be so careful of. For if we continue to do this, if we continue to worship Satan, which is what we're doing when we worship our own flesh, we're worshiping the one who works in evil, the one who works in sin, the one who is flesh himself incarnate, When we worship ourselves, we're really worshiping Satan. God, the one true God, is the only one worthy of worship, the only one worthy of praise, the only one who deserves in any possible way the songs and hymns and spiritual songs of his people. So if you find yourself today in temptation, and and, and when you have temptations that are going to come up, remember these three things. Remember that Satan is going to attack you with physical appetite, the things that satisfy your belly, with personal gain, the things that are going to make you think you're going, going to make you happy, the things the material things you think are going to add to your life. And he's going to come at you against your lust for personal glory the part of your flesh that wants to remove God from his throne and instead climb upon it yourself, the part of you that instead of letting God reign supreme supreme as as, as the one to be worshipped, instead we want to be the ones worshipped. And the rest of the world is doing this. The rest of the world is entirely given over to their own worship. They're entirely given over to their own selves. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So if you find yourself in temptation, remember these three things. Remember that Jesus answers with the Word of God, and you have all 66 books with you. If you cannot answer temptation with Scripture, then you do not know enough Scripture. and That is a good reason to be reading and studying. But before we go, I'd like to give one more Scripture to you. Temptation can be extremely difficult. Temptation can be very, very hard to deal with. Um, I know that the book of James chapter 1 says that it's a joy, to face trials for the Lord as it leads to the growth of patience and virtue, but that doesn't make it any easier in the moment. So I want to leave you with the one more text, and this is meant to encourage you. No matter the temptation, no matter how many times you've fallen to temptation, and I know, I know I have so many times, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not the only one. You're not the only one who struggles with these things. Please don't feel alone. You know, whatever particular sin that keeps popping up in your life and you feel like you can't get rid of it, don't feel like you're fighting it alone because you don't. There is no temptation. That is not common to us. We, these things have been with us. They will stay with us until we die or the Lord comes back. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is so key the temptations that come to you, you can defeat them. You will not fall to them because they are too great for you. God has just promised in Corinthians that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You have the ability to overcome the temptation in your life. Fight it it doesn't matter how hard it feels. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how weary you are, how how your appetite has got you, how your, your, your lust for personal gain and glory have been working on you. You have the ability, if the temptation has come to you and you believe this text of God, you have the ability to overcome. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, may be able to endure it. See, sometimes escape is getting away from the temptation completely. Other times, escape is the way to endure what you're going through, a way to, to make it through the other side. So many people have talked about going through hell on a situation and coming out the other side burned. But you don't have to do that because you're not truly in hell. The Lord has not uh, allowed you to go to that place. Part of the reason you might be tempted by Satan, as he wants to disrupt the will of God and the graciousness of God in your life. He, has, he will provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. So remember, you're not alone. This is common to us all, and we should band together and confess our faults to one another so that we will be healed. You will not be tempted beyond your ability. You can do this. You can overcome it. You don't have to fall to that sin, which is always, always there, Always dragging you back down, always popping up in your mind, nagging you when you're trying to read your Bible, pray, or even sit in church. But there is a way of escape, and that way of escape is the Lord Jesus. His mercy to love you even when you fall into sin, His graciousness during your temptations, and you will be able to endure. For Jesus Himself endured everything the devil threw at Him. You also can endure any temptation, and never into sin. God bless you. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you, and that whatever temptations you might face, you will stand firm in the holiness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, and God bless.